Good evening, Hope Chapel. You guys are excited to be here tonight, aren't you? Amen. You guys are going to hear an amazing word. We already just had awesome worship. God is in this place. Amen. But what did we talk about last week? God wants us to take him out into that world. Amen. That's even more important than us being in here. This is good, but we're just getting equipped and empowered and coached and ready so we can get in the game, right? That's what it's all about. This is our year. This is the theme for the year. Hope in the world, right? Out of the church, in the world, bring them back into the family of God. That's what we're all about. I hope you guys have been wearing your shirts we gave you last week. Yeah? If you didn't get one last week, you can get one tonight. I'm sure they'll tell you how to do that. Yeah. All the kids, you guys were at camp, yeah? Oh! <laughs> and you guys had a good weekend at camp? Awesome. How many of you ladies were at a rise? Oh, awesome. Well, you got a dose of Lisa Bevere, and tonight you're going to hear from her husband. Um, definitely. And I just wanted to tell you guys, um, we're going to show a quick, real quick video clip, just what John and Lisa are all about, just Messenger International, the ministry that they have worldwide. It's more than just, oh, he writes books, doesn't he? There's an amazing ministry that they have, giving away books, touching lives, uh, meeting needs all around the world. We're going to show that video, but I want to say this real quick. Um, and then we're going to let John come up after this is I'm so blessed already with the ministry and everything that he does, but I, I just got to spend, my wife and I got to go out to dinner with John and Lisa tonight. And I got to tell you the time we had at dinner, I felt like I was at church literally because no, because these people that you see, you know, he writes the books and he comes and he speaks, he goes to all the conferences. He's the real deal. Him and Lisa are the real deal. I'm sure you ladies already know that. You've heard them, heard her speak, right, at a rise and everything. But just sitting over dinner, I felt like I went to church. Just them talking and the passion that they have and the fact that they weren't like, oh, we're big somebodies. And they were just like real lovers of Jesus and they care about the people in this world. And I was just blessed to know and to spend a few minutes with them over dinner, just wait until what he's going to get on stage and get fired up about and share about God. But I just got to tell you, he's a real deal, but there's, there's more to him than meets the eye. I want you to just take a glimpse at this video. It's about a minute long about what Messenger International is all about. So take a look at the screens real quick. good? All right, well, I'm going to get off the stage and stop talking, but would you guys please rise to your feet and give a warm Hope Chapel, Kanyoi Bay, welcome to John Bevere. Come on. Let's go. Hey, man. Love you so much. Hey. It's so good to be here. Man, you guys are great tonight. 
honestly, I got to tell you, you know, everybody say stand up because I'm going to pray. I, I come into so many church atmospheres, so many. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I walked right in here tonight and the presence of God was so strong in that worship. Wow. You know, I think the Holy Spirit comes to some churches out of obligation. And he comes to other churches because he likes to. I think this is one of the churches he really likes coming to. Amazing. And um, I got to tell you, one of the highlights for me last year was being with you guys. And I'm so honored to be back here again. And I have to say that um, I've been traveling for probably, oh boy, 20, 24th year now. Ministry 30 years. And uh, been in thousands of churches, over 50 countries all over the world. And let me tell you something. You really have something very special here. And it's because one of the reasons is your leaders. You have amazing pastors. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? I, um, I got to tell you, one of the things I just was just, just so, so just touched by last, last year was, was you, Kanani, and you, Pastor Carl. And just, just, just your passion, your love for God, your desire to build lives. And so never take for granted what God has given you here. And I, I know it stems right down from Pastor Ralph and, and Ruby, you know, what, what amazing people. I, I saw Ruby at the Arise Women's Conference, and I'm telling you, she's still a firecracker. I'm telling you, she's amazing. And um, what a great heritage, and what a great church for such a great state. And so don't lose your fire. Don't lose your passion. And it's just, I'm very, very honored to be here. So can you do me a favor? Can you get rid of the guest speaker stuff? I'm family here now, okay? All right? You got... You got Papa Carl, you got Mama Kiani, Kanani, and you have Uncle John. Okay? So Uncle John is in the house. All right? And so that dinner was so good tonight, I decided to wear some of it out of the restaurant. Anyway, if you're wondering what the spot is right there, it's the Thai food that we ate. Anyway. I want to say that Lisa's getting ready to get on a plane tomorrow. She's going to be very, very busy all over the United States for the next week. And she's getting ready to go to, um, um, where's she going? To Cambodia and to Singapore. I'm, and so uh, it was, it's kind of tough saying goodbye to her tomorrow morning. I think I get to see her two or three days in the next month and a half. So, yeah, we just celebrated. Our, hey, let me show you a picture of my family. Can I do that? Let me show you a picture. Where, where are they at? There's my family. Okay, so you see my smoking hot, gorgeous wife. Uh, 30 years of marriage. Yeah. So we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary over in Lanai. And uh, you see our four sons. Um, we, three of them are very available. I do want Hawaiian daughter-in-laws, in case you're wondering. Arden's on the left. He's our tallest. He's the youngest. You got Addison. He's our oldest. He's the COO of Messenger International. Uh, next to Addison is his wife, Juliana, whom I have adopted as my daughter. And then you've got Lisa and you've got Alec. Alec wiped out his mother's ninja motorcycle going over 60 miles an hour just two months ago. He walked away without a scratch, totaled the bike. He wrote me the next day a text. He said, Dad, the reason I didn't get a scratch is because I wrote a covenant with God. I said, I am so glad you wrote a covenant with God, but the bike is still gone. 
So, uh, and then there's Austin. Austin is our second born. And, you know, I think three of them were here last time I was here. So you got to meet some. And so anyway, and then you see my two G babies. And you all know what a G baby is. I'm way too young to be grandpa. So it's G daddy and G for short. So we got to highlight the G babies. Here's Asher sporting this new tie. I think. Yeah, there he is. All right. All right. So we'll set him up for some Hawaiian girls. And then... Here we have uh, Sophia Grace. And let me tell you, this is my sweetheart. She is the first girl born in the Bevere, entire Bevere clan since 1967. So, of course, I am G-Daddy who gives her anything she wants. So I'm her favorite, right? So anyway, that's my family. And the more I love them, the more I realize how much God really loves us because we're his family. Can you say amen? All right. Tonight, I've got something very, very strong in my heart I want to bring to you. So I want to get right into the word of God. Can we do that? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. Lord, this is definitely a move of your spirit, a building of your house, and I'm grateful for it. So tonight, Holy Spirit of God, we don't just want a message. We want our lives changed forever. So I'm asking that you would literally invade this sanctuary, that you would reveal Jesus to us greater than we've ever known him before. And as you do, may we go from glory to glory to glory as by the Spirit of the living God. For I decree this night your kingdom has come within us. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise and the thanksgiving and it is in Jesus mighty wonderful holy majestic awesome magnificent name and everybody that agrees shouts come on give God praise what he's gonna do amen amen you can be seated Tonight, I want to share with you out of a book I wrote a couple of years ago, and this book, I have to say, of all the books that I've written, this one really impacted me personally. In fact, my oldest son said to me one day, he said, Dad, you've really changed, and it was a result of what God showed me and what I'm about to share with you tonight. So to open this up tonight, I want to share with you the words of the Apostle John. He was in his 90s when he penned these words, and look what he says here in the eighth verse of the second book of John. He says, look to yourselves. Everybody say, look to myself. So, you know, immediately this message is not for the person sitting next to you tonight. It is for you that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now, everybody shout reward. reward. How many of you know God is a rewarder? I mean, come on. How does he introduce himself to Abraham? He appears to this guy and says, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Yeah. What a way to introduce yourself to somebody when you're God. Right? Now, the thing that really caught my attention here was that John just doesn't say reward. Do you notice he specifically identifies full reward? Now, I started thinking, for John to specifically say full reward, what does that mean? That means there is a partial reward scenario and there is a no reward scenario. Now, isn't it interesting that he doesn't write and say, hey, live in such a way that you're going to get a partial reward. Why doesn't he write that? Because God wants you, listen to my words, he wants you to have the full reward. Now, of course John is speaking of the judgment seat of Christ where every one of us will be examined as believers. Our sins will not be examined. We'll be examined on how we live this life as believers and we'll receive either rewards or suffer losses. However, how many of you know the Bible says that godliness has the promise of the life that now is and is to come? The is to come is come covered by the judgment part. What about the now is? Because the Bible says in Proverbs, the righteous 
will be rewarded in the earth. So what is God saying to you and I when he says, see that you receive the full reward? So I started thinking about this in the light of the now is. And so what I did is I went to the gospels because whenever you want a picture of the will of God on earth, go to Jesus's life. And as I meditated on the gospels, I had a startling revelation. And that is this. There were certain people in the gospels that received a full reward from heaven. There were others that received a partial reward. There were still others who got nothing. And the more I meditated on this, the more I realized there was a thread running through all these different scenarios. And that thread is what I want to share with you tonight. All right. So let me go through some of the examples in Jesus's ministry to show you this. First of all, let me start out in Mark's gospel, the sixth chapter. We've got Jesus coming to a city that is actually looking for the Messiah. They are anticipating his coming. They know it is the season of his coming. He comes to this city and we read in the fifth verse of Mark chapter six. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on his few sick people and healed them. Now you have to understand in other cities, he's opening up the eyes of the blind, opening up the ears of the deaf, causing crippled people to walk, even raising the dead. But he comes to this city and just a few headaches are getting healed. Maybe a bad back or a minor case of arthritis, but not near the miracles that were happening in the other cities. But that wasn't really what got my attention. What really got my attention were the words, he could do no mighty work. Now, I remember when I saw this, I pushed my Bible back and I said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible doesn't say he wouldn't do any mighty work. I can handle that. That deals with his will. It said he couldn't. For the Bible to say he couldn't means he was restrained. The Amplified makes it really clear. The Amplified says he was not able to do any mighty work. Man, I'm telling you, that morning I said, hold it. Jesus, you're the son of God. You have like the spirit of God without measure. And you come to a city and you're restrained. How many of you know we got to know what under we, we got to know and understand what restrains Jesus? Because if we understand what restrains him, we're going to understand what restrains us. So I started searching. I said, Holy Spirit, what would restrain Jesus? Why couldn't he do anything, any mighty work? And I found the answer in the previous two verses. In verse three, the people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. Everybody say honor. honor. Say it again. Honor. Say it one more time. Honor. Not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. What's happening here? Jesus comes to the city called Nazareth, city in which he was raised in. It was Sabbath. He enters the synagogue. When he does, the entire city's in that synagogue. All right? And he stands up in front of the synagogue on Sabbath, and he opens up the book of Isaiah, and he begins to read a very familiar portion of Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, nothing's out of the ordinary until he closes the book and drops a bomb on them by saying, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the Messiah. Now, when he does this, there's rustling in the crowd. And fathers are looking at their wives going, hey, babe, babe, isn't this the kid that was raised down the street from us? Somebody else goes, honey, isn't this the kid who's in Sally's math class? Somebody else goes, 
Hey, honey, isn't this the kid that made the table and chairs in our kitchen? Now, what's happening here? These people had an image of how Messiah was going to come. And their image was interestingly enough developed from Old Testament scripture. Because the same prophet Isaiah wrote in his book, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. So they've got this image of this militant, warring, conquering Messiah coming, delivering them from Roman oppression and rule, setting up the throne of David, and ruling forever and ever and ever. But when Jesus comes, it's one of their hometown boys, made the furniture in their house, and now he's got a bunch of prostitutes and mafia following him, because the tax collectors or the mafia of the day. They go, hold it. This is not the way we expect Messiah to come. Now that tells me something right there. Many times God will send you what you need in a package you don't want. Why does he do that? He's God. So when Jesus does not come the way they expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. Everybody say honor. Now I have done an extensive amount of study on this Greek word for honor here in verse 4. It is the Greek word timi, which literally means this, a valuing. So when you speak of honor to a Greek man or woman, they will think of something that is valuable, weighty, precious, such as gold. Now, how many of you know you don't put gold anywhere? You don't put it in your junk drawer. You put it in a place of honor, right? Other definitions of this word are to appreciate, to esteem, to favorably regard, to respect. Now, sometimes we can understand better what a word is by looking at what it is not. The antonyms of honor, or the antonym of honor, is dishonor. It is from the Greek word autimi, which simply means this, to treat as common, to treat as ordinary. So I want you to think about this. The opposite of honoring someone is to treat them ordinary. Are you still here? Yeah. To not re show respect, to not value. Now, in some of the Greek dictionaries, that I studied, I discovered something very interesting. Honor can be displayed in action, in word, even in thought. But all true honor originates from the heart. This is why Isaiah says, God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 29 verse 13, this people draws near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts they've drawn far from me and their reverence towards me is taught by the precepts of men. God says these people honor me with their lips, they honor me with their songs, their words, but they don't have true honor because true honor originates from the heart and is an outflow of the reverential fear of the Lord. Amen. So what happens is Jesus comes to this city and because he doesn't come the way they expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. The result is a few bad backs get healed, a few headaches get healed, maybe a minor case of arthritis, but not near the miracles that were happening in the other cities. So this city got a small partial reward from heaven, all because of one word. Everybody say it, because of honor. If you go to Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, don't go there, you can go there later. You'll find Jesus is teaching in a very large house. The Bible says there was a multitude of teachers and preachers in the house. So obviously it's a very big house. There's probably a couple hundred teachers and preachers in there. The Bible says, now listen carefully. The Bible says, as he taught them, the power of the Lord was there to heal them. Who is them? The teachers and the preachers. Now, how many of you know God never wastes anything? If the power of the Lord is there to heal them, that means at least one of them needed to be healed. And when you have a couple hundred people in a room, the law of averages says a half a dozen or a dozen are going to need to be healed. But none of them got healed. 
It wasn't until some men tried to get into the meeting, but they couldn't because it was so packed. They went up on the tile roof. They broke open the tile roof, let down a paralytic on ropes. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you, the teachers and the preachers in the room just thought this. Now, I want to paint a picture. This is not happening. Hey, Ralph. Can you believe what he just said? No, Fred, to be quite honest, this is ridiculous. That's not going on. They just think this. Who is this that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And the Bible said when Jesus knew their thoughts, he looked at him and said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk so that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He looks at the guy and says, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out. You know what the Bible says? All the teachers and preachers were greatly amazed. They were greatly amazed, but none of them got healed even though the power of the Lord was originally there to heal them. None of them got healed because they dishonored Jesus just in their thinking. Let me tell you something. Thoughts count. If you go to Matthew's gospel, the eighth chapter, you've got an officer of the Roman army. He's a centurion. He comes to Jesus and he looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, my servant is dreadfully tormented. Would you please heal him? Jesus goes, I'll come to your house and heal your servant. The officer immediately goes, no, 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 no. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wait a minute. I'm not worthy. This is the conqueror speaking to the conquered. Rome had conquered Israel. This is an officer of the Roman army speaking to a Jewish carpenter. Do you see the honor that he is showing Jesus? Are you seeing this? And then he gives the reason. He says, because I also am a man under authority. And because I am under authority, I've got authority. So all I have to do is say to my soldiers, do this, and they immediately do it. And he said, Jesus, I recognize that you're under your father's authority, so all I know is you have to do is say one word, like I say one word to my soldiers, and that devil's got to leave my servant. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Now, when Jesus marvels, that gets my attention. And Jesus looks at the small crowd, and he says, I'm going to tell you, I have not found this much faith in all of Israel. Now, wait a minute. Do you understand what Jesus just said? Okay, Jesus found John the Baptist in Israel. Jesus just said this Roman officer had more faith than John the Baptist or Mary or the 12 or anybody else. Now, I'm a man of faith. I know that the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'd be willing to bet, and I would win this bet, the Roman officer heard far less scriptures than John the Baptist, but he had more faith than John the Baptist. Why? Because of his understanding of honor and authority. He received a full reward because he honored Jesus greatly. Are you getting this? Now, you're going to see this all through the scriptures. I'm not going to take the time to do it. The book will do it. I go through the, all the gospels and I show the people that honored Jesus greatly got a full reward. Those who withheld honor got a small partial reward and those who dishonored him got nothing. You take this all the way to one week before Jesus was crucified, Palm Sunday, and Jesus makes the most remarkable statement in Luke's gospel, 13th chapter, 35th verse. Look what he says. He says, um, he said, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What Jesus is saying here is I'm going away. I'm going to be crucified next week and I'll send to heaven a few weeks after that. You're not going to see me again until you say to the one I send you in my name, blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm going away and you're not going to see me again until you honor the one I send you in my name. Why is that? 
Jesus says it all over the Gospels. Here's one such example in John 13, verse 20. He who receives, now I'm going to replace the word receives with honors because they're one and the same. He who honors whomever I send honors me, Jesus. And he who honors me, Jesus, honors the Father who sent me. And God gives us a spiritual law in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who lightly esteem me, I will lightly esteem them. How would you ever lightly esteem God? By lightly esteeming the one God sends us, we lightly esteem Excuse me, by lightly esteeming the one Jesus sends us, we lightly esteem Jesus. By lightly esteeming Jesus, we lightly esteem the Father. And the Father says, I'll lightly esteem you. Not a good idea when you need a prayer answered. You still with me? Now you're going to see this all over the Gospels. Here's Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said in verse 40, he who honors you honors me, Jesus. And he who honors me, Jesus, honors him who sent me. Are you seeing the pattern here? Okay, verse 41, he who honors, everybody say honors, a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's what? Everybody say it again. What? What is that first verse we looked at? See that you receive a full reward. Keep reading. And he who receives a righteous, whoops, we didn't read the rest of that one. Can we go back to that? All right. And he who receives or honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's what? Now keep going. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them. In the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the three levels of human beings you're ever going to come in contact with. Every human being you ever meet will fall under one of these three categories that he just mentioned. What are the three categories? Those who are above us in authority, our leaders. Those who are on our level of authority, our peers. And those who are entrusted to our care, whom Jesus refers to as little ones. Honoring each of these levels of authority brings a certain reward from heaven. Why is that? Because Jesus said, you've done it to the least of these, my brethren. You've done it to me. And what you've done to me, you've done to the Father. And the Father will do to you. Amen. Sure is exciting in here. Okay. Now, I want to talk about each of these levels quickly tonight, all right? First of all, prophet. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking about church authority here when he says prophet. I don't want to take the time to do this. I do do this in the book. But you can easily span this out to the other four areas of delegated authority that God has placed over each of our lives. Because how many of you know that God has delegated four areas of authority over each of our lives? How many of you know that? Let me see your... Okay, we need to take a step back here. Okay, how many of you know the Bible says that all authority is of God? Okay, now a lot of people don't like that scripture. Why don't they like that scripture? Because they've had mean, cruel, dishonest authorities. Now let me make this really clear. The Bible says all authority is of God. The Bible does not say all authority is godly. The authority is of God. The behavior may not be. There are ungodly authorities all throughout that Bible. Their authority was from God. Their behavior was not. See, I find that Americans are some of the hardest people in the whole world to preach the things of God to. And the reason is quite simple. We are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. (laughs) Democracy is great for America. But if you try to relate with God with your democratic mindset, you and God will not even connect. He's a king. Not a figurehead king. He's really a king, okay? And he has rank, order, and authority. Good Good preaching, amen. I'll help some of you. 
Okay, so what are the four areas of authority that he has delegated over each of our lives? First of all, civil authority. That's our president, vice president, right down to the policeman on the street. The next area would be family authority. The husband's the head of the home. Wife is to submit to the husband. Children are to obey their parents. What's the third area? The third area is social authorities. That's our bosses, our teachers, our coaches. And the fourth area is the one that Jesus specifically spoke about when he said prophet. That is church authority. Now, let's talk about civil authority. Everybody say civil authority. What does the Bible say about civil authority? Romans chapter 13 for rulers, civil authorities. Okay, are not to be feared by those who do good, but by those who do evil, because they are God's servants. Everybody say God's servants working for your own good. I'm in the gym in Colorado Springs where I live a couple years ago. I'm working out. There's a man and a woman working out next to me. I start talking to the man and a woman. Right. And I I start witnessing to them. Right. I, I find out that he's a policeman. She's a policewoman. In the course of the conversation, I go, man, the respect that I have in my heart for you two is enormous. I said, because the Bible says you are literally God's servants. And the policeman goes, dude, hold it. I said, what? He said, the Bible says that. I said, yeah, it says that. He said, I'm one of God's servants. I said, yeah, it says that. He said, I'm tattooing that right on my back. (laughs) A couple weeks later in the gym, he pulls up his shirt there. There's Romans 13 plastered, tattooed right on his back. I thought, man, he's got that. I hope he's saved, but he's got that part, okay? So look what he goes on to say. That is also why you pay taxes, because the authorities are working for God when they fulfill their duties. What does that mean? The next time you're 15 miles over the speed limit, you see red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror. Don't bind the devil. He's not working for the devil. He's working for God. That's when you pray for mercy. (laughs) Verse 7, pay them what you owe them. Pay them your personal and property taxes and show respect. And what? And what? Now keep reading carefully for all the nice ones. No? For all of them? Wait a minute, John. Are we supposed to show honor to a mean, cruel, dishonest authority? Well, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. First Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, verse or First Peter two seventeen says, "Fear God, honor the king." You know what Peter's saying there? How can you say you fear God who you do not see when you can't respect the person he's placed his authority on that you do see? You still here? Now, do you know who the king is that Peter historically was writing about here? The historic king that Peter specifically was writing about here was King Herod Agrippa II. Excuse me, King Herod Agrippa I. Who was King Herod Agrippa I? He was the king of Judea that was murdering Christians just to gain political favor with the Jewish people. How in the world are you supposed to honor a ruler that is murdering in cold blood Christians just to gain political favor with the larger segment of people. It's not easy, but this is what you've got to do. You've got to see beyond the man's behavior and honor the authority that's on the man. See, in America, what we say to a leader is, you have to first earn my respect. Well, the fear of God doesn't say that because the fear of God doesn't judge by the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. It judges according to righteous judgment. Fear of God doesn't say you have to first earn my respect. Fear of God says, I see the authority that is on you. Therefore, you already have my respect because I honor your position, not your behavior. Sure is quiet here. Are you still here? (laughs) When I first started traveling back in 1990, I went to this church in the Midwest part of the United States, 90, 91, 92. 
Went there three years in a row. The church was 100 people. They couldn't grow past 100 people for 10 years. So I stopped going because more doors began to open up. A couple years later, this church asked me to come back. They said they were going to have over 1,000 people in their meeting, and they had nationally known speakers coming. I said to my assistant, I said, that is not that church. She says, it is that church. I said, it can't be. They were at 100 people for 10 years. She said, it's that church. I said, book me. I'm going. So sure enough, I go. Their parking lot's jam-packed. Policemen are directing traffic. They have big golf carts taking people from satellite parking lots. I walk into the building. There's over 1,000 people in the building. People are standing all around the walls. I look at the pastor. I said, okay, what happened? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, do you know what broke it open for this church? I said, what broke it open? He said, you know, I got so fed up with hearing my people in my church complain about our city officials and trying to cut corner paying taxes. He said, so I went to the mayor of the city and said, what's the greatest need in the city that you can't afford in your budget this year? It's a $25,000 item. He said, so I went before my church on Sunday morning. I put the scripture up on the board, Romans 13. I said, how dare you? How dare you criticize God's servants the way you criticize our city officials? How dare you try to cut corners paying taxes what rightly, rightfully belongs to God's servants? He said, so you know what we're going to do as a church? We're going we're to bring forth repentance. We're going to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. The city needs $25,000 to buy a fireman's mask. He said, we're going to receive an offering this morning. He said, John, my little church of 100 people gave me $25,000 that morning. He said, I made, a, made an appointment with the mayor at 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. I walked in. He knew what we were going to do. He gathered all the city officials. He said, we handed them the check, and we read out of Romans 13, you are God's servants. We want to honor you. He said, we did our building dedication nine months later. Every worker in the city was at that dedication. He said, a bunch of them got saved. It was the thing that broke open the whole city. We honored the authority of God on the city, and God opened up the whole city to our church. That's honor's reward. <laughs> Family authority. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6 says this. It says, honor. Everybody say, honor. honor. Your father and mother, which is the first suggestion with a promise. Now, it's a commandment, right? right. Now, notice, <laughs> notice the reward is attached right to the command. Do you see this? Do you see the word promise? Okay, so God attaches the reward right to this command. What is the reward? What's the promise? What's the reward? It's in verse 3, that it may be well with you and that you'll live long on the earth. Now, I can't think of two better promises, a long life and a successful life. Are you getting this? You understand that you have a covenant promise of God that you can look at cancer and say, get out of this household. I've honored my mother and father. I will live long, and I will be successful. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. Right? Okay. The problem is we live in a society that trains us to dishonor our parents. Now, Lisa and I have four of the most godly young men I have ever met in my life, okay? When they were toddlers, those four boys I showed you, when they were toddlers, there were certain G-rated movies I forbid them to watch. I said G, not PG. You know, the movies put out by the companies in L.A. and Orlando. Are you following me? Why did I forbid my kids to watch those movies? Because all through these movies, the kids in these movies, the actors, spoke so disrespectfully to their parents in the movie. And then at the end of the movie, they got the reward they were after, like the car, the monkey, the dog. I said, no, 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 no. You're not watching these movies. I forbid it. I would rather you watch movies with righteous killing in it, because that's all over the Bible, but you're not watching these movies. <laughs> 
There were some people that thought that I was being too extreme. I don't think so, because look what God says in Deuteronomy 27, 16. God says, curse. Now, if your neighbor says you're cursed, big deal. God says you're cursed, that's a bad day. <laughs> cursed is he who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, amen, which means so be it. Whoa. You know what's amazing? Listen to me. How many of you know that God put the list of the Ten Commandments in the order of importance? Do, do you know that? The first being the most important, the tenth being the least. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbors yourself. On these two hang all the commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with the Lord our God. The last six deal with our relationship with our neighbor. Are you seeing this? Now, if you look at murder, murder is pretty serious, right? It's number six on the list. If you look at adultery, whoo, is that bad? That's number seven on the list. If you look at stealing, yikes, that's number eight on the list. You know what God puts above all three of those? Number five, dishonoring your mother and your father. Now, could it be that God sees dishonoring your mother and father as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery? Now, I am not lightning, murder, stealing, and adultery. The Bible says those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you'll do jail time on a couple of them, okay? <laughs> However, I personally believe that God sees dishonoring your mom and dad as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. How do I know that? 1 Chronicles 5, 1 New Living Translation says that Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben lost his birthright because he dishonored his father. Now, you know what's interesting? Simeon was the secondborn. Levi was the thirdborn. They murdered men in cold blood in a city called Shechem. Nothing happened to their birth order. Reuben loses his birth order for dishonoring his father. Nothing happens to Simeon and Levi. Why? Because I believe God sees dishonoring your mother and father as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. Now, why is it that we go to society and, tell, and say to society, you tell us what's important to God instead of going to God? Are you with me? I said, are you with me? Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Maybe this will make you happy. Number three, social authorities. Let as many as are servants, students, employees, athletes, under the yoke of their own masters, teachers, bosses, coaches. Okay, let me read this again. Let as many as are servants, that would be students, employees, athletes, under the yoke, count their own masters, that would be teachers, bosses, coaches, worthy of some honor. Is that what it says? I said, is that what it says? All honor. I'm playing a $200 million golf course a couple of years ago. It's on the coast of Florida, okay? $200 million golf course, right on the coast of Florida, okay? The clubhouse was like a mansion. Nicest golf clubhouse I think I've ever seen, right? Now, there's no members in this golf course because it's owned by one man, okay? Only his friends get to play there. I mean, Mayor Bloomfield of New York was on the putting green. Bob Greasy was in the group. The former quarterback of the Miami Dolphins was in the group behind me. Uh, Coach Jim Leland of the Detroit Tigers was next to me at lunch, and right next to him was Tom Brokoff, okay? So I'm playing this course with the guy who manages this entire grounds. Of he has 35 employees that just man manages this guy's personal golf course. And I'm playing the golf course. And I look up at this guy. He's a Christian, the manager. And I, and I said to him, because he, he's the boss of 35 employees that, that take care of this guy's golf course. And I said, hey, I said, his name's Alan. I said, Alan, you need to take care of this golf course as if Jesus owns it. 
And Alan, being a Christian, looked at me and goes, where do you get that from? I said, the Bible says that you serve your bosses as not men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. I said, so in other words, you're not working for him, you're working for him. So you treat it like it's his golf course. He said, man, that totally changes my perception on what I'm doing around this golf course. I said, good, you got it. Let's keep playing golf. And I beat him that day. All right, number four, church. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those. Now watch this. Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. I know a lot of great, great friends and great men and women of God. When I think of two of the greatest that I know, it would happen to be T.L. Osborne. How many of you know who T.L. Osborne is? Can I see a show of hands? It's really sad. T.L. just turned, I think just went into his 90s. Um, back in 1987, Lisa and I almost went to work for T.L. and Daisy. At that time, they had led 62 million people to Jesus Christ. Mostly in their crusades in Africa. They would have anywhere from three to 500,000 people a night in a crusade in Africa. Okay. I was talking to Brother Osborne about this, and I emailed him back and forth to make sure my, my, my stories are straight, but they would see hundreds of deaf ears open in one meeting, one night, one meeting. They would see scores of blind eyes open in one meeting. They would see crippled people who had never walked all their life start walking in their meetings. I was at lunch with Reinhard Bunke. Reinhard Bunke saw 22 million people come to the Lord in Africa in just Nigeria alone. I said, Brother Reinhardt, do you see deaf ears open? He goes, oh, brother, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. I said, do you, see, do you see blind eyes open? Again, he went ballistic. Now, I look at these two men that I know personally. They come back to America. In their American meetings, same man, same message, same anointing. In their American meetings, a few headaches get healed. Maybe a bad back or a minor case of arthritis but not near the miracles is in Africa. Why? One word, everybody say it. Because of honor. I've been to these nations. I've been to Africa. I've been to places like Angola, South Africa, um, Kenya, and Namibia, other places. I've been in the Middle East, and sometimes it almost scares me the way they treat me. I remember one, just, just two years ago, flying into the Middle East to speak to 2,500 leaders in the Middle East. I remember when I landed in Yerevan, Armenia, and Beirut, Lebanon, but particularly... Armenia, or, or, yeah, Armenia. I remember all the people get off the airplane, and there's a whole delegation at the bottom, and they're all waiting for me. And they take me into this room with lots of nice food in it and drinks. And I'm like, what about customs? They go, oh, brother, no, don't even think about it. So we eat food, and we talk. And then the guy comes in and says, we're ready to go. I said, we're not going to customs? Brother, no, 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 customs for you. They take me in this big barricade or, or parade thing, you know, to the hotel. Put me in the nice room. The meetings, you cannot, I still talk about what God did in those meetings. I remember one time I was walking out of preaching to 10,000 people in Mombasa, Kenya. I walk out, first of all, they won't let me carry my Bible, they won't let me do anything. They put me in the nicest hotel in the city. I'm like, I know they can't afford it. I'm like, what are you doing putting me in this hotel? And I remember they, I walk out of this meeting. They bring me into a room. They sit me down in a chair that looked like a throne. 
And these three women come up bowing to me. One's got a basin, one's got a pitcher, and one's got a towel. I looked at the person who was hosting me. I said, what are they here to do? They said, they're here to wash your hands before you eat. I'm like, I can wash my own hands. But it's like the Holy Spirit said, don't you dare not let them do this. I remember one time I had just spoken to 3,000 senior pastors from 18 different nations in Africa. I remember I'm sitting down for dinner and a person comes up and serves me dinner. And the leader says, do you see who just served your dinner? I said, yeah. He said, that person's the head of the CIA for this entire nation. I said, hold it. They just served me dinner? And then he looked at me and he was puzzled. He said, aren't you the man of God? Then all of a sudden I thought, okay, we don't get it in America. We've confused worship with honor. See, forever and ever and ever, we will worship our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus and no one and no one, no one else, right? Nobody else, right? But forever and ever and ever, we'll give honor to whom honors do. You see, forever and ever and ever, I'll give honor to my mom and dad, okay? Because God loves honor. Are you following me? See, here's the thing. When I go to the Middle East, when I spoke to those 2,500 leaders from Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, they were on the edge of their seats, edge of their seats, anticipating every word. I come to America. Many times in America, they sit there and go, they go, not here. I, they, they, sit, <laughs> I, they sit there and they go, okay, we've heard some of the best. What do you have to say? So they get their eyes open. We get our headaches healed. Are you still here? Yeah. I'm running out of time. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Paul said that the elders who rule among us must be worthy of double honor. Everybody say double honor. Double. I'm just going to leave it there. You're going to have to read it in the book. I got two chapters on this in the book. You know, God doesn't say give double honor to parents, not even to civil authorities or social authorities. He says to those who labor in the word of God and doctrine. Oh, I could tell you story after story after story on this one. You know, I remember, I'm just going to say this. One of the young men in my youth group, back when I was a youth pastor, came up to me and said, Pastor John, would you be my buddy? You know, our last pastor, he was my last youth pastor. He was my buddy. And I felt this little uh, on the inside. I thought something's wrong. And so I said, you got a lot of buddies, don't you? He said, oh, yeah, I got a lot of buddies because he was a really popular kid. I said, you got one youth, you got one youth pastor. I said, Jesus said you receive prophet in the name of prophet, you're going to get a prophet's reward. You receive a youth pastor in the name of youth pastor, you're going to get a youth pastor's reward. You receive a buddy in the name of a buddy, you're going to get a buddy's reward. I said, what do you want from me, a buddy's reward or a youth pastor's reward? He goes, I want a youth pastor's reward. I said, good choice, because you got a lot of buddies. And I walked away. He got it. He got it. Are you with me? I said, are you with me? Yeah. All right, let's go to the, let's go to the next one. Let's go to Matthew 10, 41. And he who honors a righteous man, the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now Jesus is talking about our peers. Everybody say our peers. Yes. Let me just tell you one quick story that will illustrate this. Um, about seven years ago, my family and I, we all came back from a cruise. When we did, the director of my staff called my cell phone and he said to me, he said, John, I've got really bad news. I'd been on the cruise all week. He didn't want to call and tell me. And I said, what's, what's, what, what's up? I said, great. I get great news right when I get off the vacation. He said, well, one of the pastors in our city, he named the pastor as a pastor I knew. He's a really good friend of mine. He just hired one of our key employees while you were on the cruise. He didn't talk to me. Did he talk to you? I said, no, he didn't talk to me. I was livid. I was so angry at this pastor because he hired our international translations person. Okay, now this is a very training intensive position. Okay, 
when we brought this person on, not only does she have to learn every single publisher all over the world, she's got to learn their different contracts of the different nations, and one, one language can deal with 17 different countries in three different continents, like Portuguese, okay? Or, yeah, Portuguese, yeah. So I'm, I'm like livid. He, this pastor hires her to be the head of their drama department. I'm like livid. It took me two days to forgive the guy. I was so angry. The second day, I was out praying, and I said, God, you got to help me forgive this guy. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, I want you to give him the brand new watch that you bought on vacation last week. I started laughing. I said, I know what you're doing. And it worked because it was like a plug came out, and all the anger and bitterness just drained out of me. I thought, oh, now I can go to the guy. So I called him up. I said, hey, you work for God, right? He said, yeah. I said, I work for God. I said, we got the same employer. I said, we spent nine months training this woman to do a job she's never going to do again. You just wasted nine months of the kingdom of God's time in our ministry and in her life and in my life. He said, John, I never looked at it like that. I said, why didn't you talk to me? Why did you just hire her? He goes, I'm so sorry. I said, I forgive you. I said, can I come by your office tomorrow? He got a little nervous. He said, yeah. So I go by his office and I give him this watch. He goes, oh my goodness. He says, I just told my wife last week I needed a watch. I said, isn't it great? God knows what you need. I said, you enjoy it. Now, he and I are still friends this day. We just had dinner a couple weeks ago. We're, just, we're still great friends. But let me tell you what happens. Three weeks later, we hired a woman to replace the girl that he hired. And if there's ever been a word for a human tiger, she's it. <laughs> now, the previous girl, when she came on board in nine months, she brought the languages of her books from 17 languages to 23. You know how remarkable that was? She got five new languages in nine months. It took us 10 years to go from one to 17. That's why I was so angry he hired her, because she was a great worker. The new woman, the human tiger, first nine months she works for us, she brings the languages of her books from 23 to 40. Do you hear what I just said? 40, 40, 40. 17 new languages in nine months. And we just, I think we did, we're up to 64 now. Now, let me tell you the implications of this. I just go to Brazil. I went to Brazil last year. They tell me in Brazil that one of my books is the fifth best-selling book in the entire nation. I went to Korea. I had no idea what was going on in Korea. I go into a little news conference. Five television stations are there. Third largest newspaper in the whole country. And 32 reporters from different organizations are there. Newspapers and televisions and all that. Magazines. They do a front page page right on the life section of the third largest newspaper in the whole nation because one of our books has been on the top 10 bestseller list for two years there. I go to Bulgaria. They tell me, John, you're the number one author in all of Bulgaria. The number two author has sold half as many books. I go to Ukraine. They tell me you're the number two author in the entire nation. I go to a conference in Sweden, 7,000 people there. There were leaders from 60 different nations. They were leaders. The leader, the guy gets up and says, how many of you have read one of John's books? 90% of the hands went up in the air. I mean, the delega a delegation from Iran came from me and said, we've published your books in Farsi, the official language of Iran. Every time we publish them, they're all gone. You're probably one of the most read Christian authors in all of Iran. Do you realize the millions of more people that are getting the messages that God has entrusted to Lisa and I? Why? Because I honored a peer who dishonored me. What a reward. I said, what a reward. Do you know what I have discovered? I have discovered the greatest rewards come when we honor those who dishonor us. Jesus said, you love those, you honor those who honor you. 
What reward do you have? Gang members do the same. Are you with me? Let me end it with this. Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones. Now he's talking about our wives, our children. He's talking about our employees, our team members. You know, the Bible says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel doesn't mean she's beneath you. It just means she can't bench press as much as you. That's all it means. In fact, you know what it says, husbands, if you don't honor your wife? It says that heaven will not even listen to your prayers. That is a miserable place to be, that heaven is not listening to your prayers. Hey, John, can I pray for you? No, thanks. I see the way you talk to your wife. Don't waste my time or yours because heaven's not listening to you right now. Are you with me? Okay. Okay, I just want to make sure you got that. Yeah, it's in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to go read it, it's really true. It's there, okay? Some of the greatest rewards I've ever received is when I've honored my wife, my children, my team members. Do you know, can I be honest with you, the greatest rewards I've ever received, even greater than the one I just shared with you, is honoring people that God has put under my care. Let me tell you something. Heaven is a culture of honor. God loves honor. You know, it goes right down to the restaurant. You know, when the girl came up and waited on us tonight, I didn't do this because I was preaching this message tonight. It's just in me. I do it all the time. I wouldn't let her serve us until I knew her name, where she was from. She was from Taiwan. She was from Bangkok. Her name was Tiki. I talked to her. Do you understand? When I go to the grocery store, I talk to people like the guy in the meat department, everybody. I was walking through Whole Foods because Whole Foods is my favorite store. And I was walking through Whole Foods with Aaron Badley, a PGA golfer. And Aaron looked at me and he goes, does everybody in this store know you? I said, probably. And they don't know I'm a preacher or an author. I don't want them to know that. They know me because I talk to them. The guy in the meat department, Richard, I found out he liked this exotic cheese. It cost $30 a pound. So I bought a half a pound. I brought it over to him. And I said, hey, Richard, take this home. Have it with your wife tonight. He looked at me like, are you kidding me? One time this girl goes, oh, look at that ice cream. And I said, you want some? I ran over to the ice cream place and got her and says, here, have it for lunch. This one girl, she had, she had five different shades, colors of hair, pink, purple, orange, red. It was different every day. She had tattoos covered. She had no Caucasian skin left that you could see on her body. Everything was colored <laughs> tattoos, okay? She had 15 piercings all over in all these different places. And I always went to her line because I was after her. My kids were after her. My wife was after her. And we would just, I'd go through line and say, ah, your hair, it looks so amazing today. I just, how do you do the orange next to the purple and you just do it with this flare? I said, it's just, and she's like, oh, thanks, thanks. Well, one time her line was so busy, I went to another line and she closed her line. She came over, she grabbed me, she starts weeping. And she says, my grandfather died. I've got to move to Denver and I won't be here. And you know what the saddest thing about me not being in the store anymore? It's because I won't see you, your wife, and your kids. Do you know I was able to give her some books then and minister to her? You see, it goes down to honor. Why do we honor to get the reward? No, a million times no. We honor because we realize that God paid the highest price for that one individual. Your greatest temptation, you know what your greatest temptation is going to be? I went a little over tonight because I had permission from the pastor. Is that okay? Your greatest temptation is going to be this, to go out and treat everybody nice. That's going to last about a week. You got to get honor in your heart. You got to get it in your heart. Did you get something out of this tonight? Did you get something out of this tonight? Amen.
With every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place tonight and you'd say, John, I'm, I've not walked in this honor that you're speaking of. Not, I've not walked in it with my husband, with my wife, with my children, with my pastors, with my bosses, with the people I work with, with my neighbors. I want this honor. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand up high right now. I want to pray for you. Just put it up high. Just be honest. About 80% of the hands in the building are up in the air. I want you to pray this out loud with me. Every one of you that have your hands raised up. Everybody in this building. Say this to me. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to me tonight through your servant. I realize that I have not valued men and women and children the way you have valued me, the way you value them. I repent of this. I ask you to cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. And from this moment forward, I ask that you would birth in me and pour in my heart true honor. May I value men and women and children the way you value me. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you're in this place tonight, the greatest way that I can value you and honor you is by giving you an opportunity to become a child of God. These are the, actually the most important words that you'll hear me speak all night long, so please listen carefully. The Bible declares that every human being that walks the face of this earth was born a slave. That's right, you and I were born as slaves. Slave of what? Sin. That's why we needed a savior. God came up with the perfect remedy. He sent Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He was born of a woman, making him 100% man, but he was fathered by the Holy Spirit, making him 100% God. Therefore, he was free from the curse of sin you and I walked in. Jesus walked this earth perfectly for 33 years. And then he, as the only human, innocent human being that's ever lived, went to the cross and he bore your judgment and my judgment, your penalty and my penalty for our slavery of sin. He suffered, he died, they buried him. But three days later, God the Father raised him from the dead because Jesus lived a perfect life after he had satisfied the claims of justice by pouring out his blood for you and me. God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And God has, listen to me carefully, given you a right and a freedom to choose. Right now, you're a slave of sin if you've never given Jesus Christ your life. But God is giving you a choice tonight, right today, right now, that you can give your heart, your life to Jesus. And when you do, what Jesus did on that cross, paying the price for your slavery, will free you from your slavery it will make you a child of God. How do you do it? By giving him your life, just like a woman when she gets married gives her life to a man. So I want to give you a chance tonight. I want to give you a chance to give your life to Jesus Christ. Just knowing that Jesus existed is not enough. Just going to church is not enough. You have to give him your entire heart and life. If you're in here and you'd say, John, I've never given Jesus Christ my heart, my life before. I want to do it right now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand up. You can become a child of God tonight. With every head bowed, every eye closed, the hands are going up all over this building. Just put it up high. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, yes. Hands are up all over this building. There must be, there must be, there must be 20 hands up all over this building. <clears throat> Just hold them up. Hold them up. Just hold them up. Now put your other hand up. 
This is a sign, outward sign of saying, I, Jesus, I'm surrendering to you. Can we all pray this prayer tonight together with these people? There's probably 20, 25 people that have raised their hands tonight. I want you to pray this out loud. Say this with me. God in heaven, God in heaven thank you, thank you for, sending Jesus for sending Jesus to die for me, die for me so that I could have eternal life. Forgive me for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator, from this moment forward, the rest of my life, I will serve you, Jesus, as my Lord. I give you my spirit, my soul and body, everything I am, everything I have. From this day forward, you shall be my king. Thank you that tonight... You've done a miracle, and you've changed me from being a slave of sin to a child of God. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen. Now I want you to thank God. Amen. Wow. That's exciting.